section 19 of Monsieur Lecoq, part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monsieur Lecoq by Emile Gaborion, part 1, section 19. When the prisoner speaks, the prosecution is enlightened. So runs an old proverb frequently quoted at Palais de Justice. It does indeed seem almost impossible for a culprit to say more than a few words in an investigating magistrate presence without betraying his intentions or his thoughts, without, in short, revealing more or less of the secret he is endeavoring to conceal. All criminals, even the most simple-minded, understand this, and those who are shrewd prove remarkably reticent, confining themselves to the few facts upon which they have founded their defense. They are careful not to travel any further unless absolutely compelled to do so, and even then they only speak with the utmost caution. When questioned, they reply, of course, but always briefly, and they are very sparing of details. In the present instance, however, the prisoner was prodigal of words. He did not seem to think that there was any danger of his being the medium of accomplishing his own decapitation. He did not hesitate like those who are afraid of misplacing a word of the romance they are substituting for the truth. Under other circumstances, this fact would have been a strong argument in his favor. You may tell your own story, then, said Monsieur Segmuller in answer to the prisoner's indirect request. The presumed murderer did not try to hide the satisfaction he experienced at thus being allowed to plead his own cause in his own way. His eyes sparkled and his nostrils dilated as if with pleasure. He sat himself down, threw his head back, passed his tongue over his lips as if to moisten them, and said, Am I to understand that you wish to hear my history? Yes. Then you must know that one day about forty-five years ago, Father Tringlaw, the manager of a traveling acrobatic company, was going from Gincamp to Saint-Brieuc in Brittany. He had with him two large vehicles containing his wife, the necessary theatrical paraphernalia, and the members of the company. Well, soon after passing Chateau de Rennes, he perceived something white lying by the roadside near the edge of a ditch. I must go and see what that is, he said to his wife. He stopped the horses, alighted from the vehicle he was in, went to the ditch, picked up the object he had noticed, and uttered a cry of surprise. You will ask me what he had found? Ah, good heavens, a mere trifle. He had found your humble servant then about six months old. With these last words the prisoner made a low bow to his audience. Naturally, Father Tringlaw carried me to his wife. She was a kind-hearted woman. She took me, examined me, fed me, and said, He is a strong, healthy child, and will keep him since his mother has been so wicked as to abandon him by the roadside. I will teach him, and in five or six years he will be a credit to us. They then asked each other what name they should give me, and, as it happened to be the first of May, they decided to call me after the month, 
and so it happens that May has been my name from that day to this. The prisoner paused again, and looked from one to another of his listeners, as if seeking some sign of approval. None being forthcoming, he proceeded with his story. Father Tringlaw was an uneducated man, entirely ignorant of the law. He did not inform the authorities that he had found a child, and for this reason, although I was living, I did not legally exist, for, to have a legal existence, it is necessary that one's name, parentage, and birthplace should figure upon a municipal register. When I grew older, I rather congratulate myself of Father Tringlaw's neglect. May, my boy, said I, you are not put down on any government register. Consequently, there's no fear of your ever being drawn as a soldier. I had a horror of the military service, and a positive dread of bullets and cannonballs. Later on, when I had passed the proper age for the conscription, a lawyer told me that I should get into all kinds of trouble if I showed a place on the civil register so late in the day, and so I decided to exist surreptitiously. And this is why I have no Christian name, and why I can't exactly say where I was born. If truth has any particular accent of its own, as moralists have asserted, the murderer had found that accent. Voice, gesture, glance, expression, all were in accord. Not a word of his long story had rung false. Now, said Monsieur Segmuller coldly, what are your means of subsistence? By the prisoner's discomfited mien, one might have supposed that he had expected to see the prison doors fly open at the conclusion of his narrative. I have a profession, he replied penitently, the one that Mother Tringlaw taught me. I subsist by its practice, and I have lived by it in France and other countries. The magistrate thought he had found a flaw in the prisoner's armor. You say you have lived in foreign countries? he inquired. Yes, during the seventeen years that I was with Monsieur Simpson's company. I traveled most of the time in England and in Germany. Then you are a gymnast and an athlete. How is it that your hands are so white and soft? Far from being embarrassed, the prisoner raised his hands from his lap and examined them with evident complacency. It is true they are pretty, said he, but this is because I take good care of them and scarcely use them. Do they pay you then for doing nothing? Ah, no, indeed. But, sir, my duty consists uh, in speaking to the public, in turning a compliment, in making things pass off pleasantly, as the saying is, and without boasting I flatter myself that I have a certain knack. Monsieur Segmuller stroked his chin, according to his habit, whenever he considered that the prisoner had committed some grave blunder. In that case, said he, will you give me a specimen of your talent? Aha! laughed the prisoner evidently supposing this to be a jest on the part of the magistrate. Uh -huh. Obey me, if you please, insisted Monsieur Segmuller. The supposed murderer made no objection. His face at once assumed a different expression, his features wearing a mingled air of impudence, conceit, and irony. He caught up a ruler that was lying on the magistrate's desk, and, flourishing it wildly, began as follows in a shrill falsetto voice. 
Silence, music, and you, big drum, hold your peace. Now is the hour, now is the moment, ladies and gentlemen, to witness the grand, unique performance of these great artists, unequaled in the world for their feats upon the trapeze and the tightrope, and in innumerable other exercises of grace, suppleness, and strength. That is sufficient, interrupted the magistrate. You can speak like that in France, but what do you say in Germany? Of course, I use the language of that country. Let me hear, then, retorted Monsieur Segmuller, whose mother tongue was German. The prisoner seized his mocking manner, assumed an air of comical importance, and without the slightest hesitation began to speak as follows in very emphatic tones. Mit Bewilligung der hochöblichen Obrigkeit wird heute von hiesiger ehrenwerten Bürgerschaft zum ersten Mal aufgeführt, Genovesa oder... This opening of the prisoner's German harange may thus be rendered. With the permission of the local authorities, there will now be presented before the honorable citizens for the first time Genevieve or the... Enough, said the magistrate harshly. He rose, perhaps to conceal his chagrin, and added, We will send for an interpreter to tell whether you speak English as fluently. On hearing these words, Lecoq modestly stepped forward. I understand English, said he. Very well, you're here, prisoner. But the man was already transformed. British gravity and apathy were written upon his features, and gestures were stiff and constrained, and in the most ponderous tones he exclaimed, Walk up, ladies and gentlemen, walk up! Long life to the Queen and to the Honorable Mayor of this town! No country, England excepted, oh glorious England, could produce such a marvel, such a paragon! For a minute or two longer he continued in the same grain. Monsieur Segmuller was leaning upon his desk, his face hidden by his hands. Lecoq, standing in front of the prisoner, could not conceal his astonishment. Joguin, the smiling clerk, alone found the scene amusing. End of section 19 Recording by Bentti Hirvonen, Finland